Revelation chapter 2, verse 18, the Bible says, And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works, and charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts. And I will give unto you, uh, I give every one of you uh, according to your works. But unto you, I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan, as they speak, I will put none of none other burden. But that which ye have already, hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father. And I will give him the morning star. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And let's pray one more time briefly this evening. Lord, I pray that you would bless this time now in your word. pray that you speak to our hearts, give us an understanding of what your word has to say. Help us to apply it to our own lives. And help us, Lord, to not only be good hearers of your word, but good doers as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again. You may be seated. Um, I'm going to kind of try to, like I said, make this as brief as possible tonight. Um, This is a pretty rich passage, and uh, I'm going to basically just scratch the surface and encourage you to do more research on your own regarding this church. Um, It is interesting what, 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 what... Jesus points out about this church, what, what the Spirit of God uh, points out. And so um, I'm going to kind of scratch the surface. We'll do the tip of the iceberg on this message, and I would invite you and encourage you and compel you to do uh, more study on your own. I'd like to start by saying no firm record on when this church was started. We don't have, you know, in Paul's missionary journey, this church started Uh, But we can speculate, actually, that Lydia had something to do with the church here at Thyatira. If you would kind of peek over to uh, Acts chapter number 16, um, I want to just kind of show you this here because it is very likely that uh, Lydia had something to do with this church, whether she was part of the foundation of this church where she kind of founded it or um, she communicated with the church there. We don't know exactly because we find her here in the book of Acts in Philippi, but uh, we do know that Lydia was saved here and whether she went home and uh, kind of brought the gospel there to Thyatira, we don't know. But here we go. Acts chapter 16, verse number 14 says, a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, I wish worship the God, where we wish worship God heard us, whose heart the Lord opened that she attended Under the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, If you had judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. 
and she constrained us. So here in Acts chapter 16, we find, we find her residing, you know, her address was in Philippi. She probably lived at, you know, some main street in, in Philippi. But at some point, she was from Thyatira, so whether she went back to her hometown with the gospel, we don't know, or whether um, she communicated with maybe family that was in, still in Thyatira and got the gospel there, we don't know how exactly it happened, but this church was founded, and uh, very likely that Lydia had a part in that, because that's the only other time uh, the city of Thyatira is mentioned in the Bible. It's here in Revelation chapter 2, and then also in Acts chapter 16. So uh, we can kind of make speculation along the way there. Uh, a couple little interesting, or one fact about uh, Thyatira that I wanted to share with you is that the waters that went through that city are said to be so well adapted for dying. You're thinking, that's interesting. And I'm not talking about the dying where you die, but where you die. Clothing and fabric, okay? So where you color fabric, that type of dying. And so, um, and, and, and it's interesting, right, that Lydia was a seller of purple. It was dyed fabric. And so... Uh, maybe she learned how to do that in Thyatira because that was kind of the hub for making great colored clothes. Um, and so anyway, that's, that was an interesting fact. And also the, uh, the main religion there in Thyatira in that day was uh, worshiping a deity called Apollo. And um, he was the sun god under the surname, um, surname Tyrimenius. I don't know if I'm even saying that right. But anyway, you can just understand this. There was idol worship going on there in that city. Uh, just like most cities in, in that day and age, a lot of idol worship was happening, but certainly here in this city as well. Um, so let's kind of pick it up and, and uh, break down this uh, passage here and uh, put it in a little bit of an outline form. Let's talk first of all tonight about the record of this church. Um, and Jesus here is he's writing to this church well, ultimately, it's John who's the human author, but the Spirit of God is telling John what to write. Um, and he says in verse 18, uh, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. So definitely showing the authority and the power of God here, uh, the power and Son of God. In other words, he's not one that you want to just say, Okay, I'm going to let this go in one ear and out the other. No, when if someone came in here tonight with feet of brass... And uh, eyes like unto a flame of fire, we would probably listen to what they had to say. It would probably change our life. It would make an impression in our lives at the very least. And, and so Jesus is kind of uh, expressing here who he is. And then he goes in verse 19 and says, I know thy works and charity and service and faith and thy patience and thy works and the last to me more than the first. And so uh, just very briefly tonight, he mentions first of all their works. Uh, verse 19, I know thy works. And then at the end of the verse, he repeats it. I know thy works, and the last to be more than the first. So they were a very busy church. They were doing things. They were definitely not a lazy church. This was a, a they were busy about during the, doing the work of the Lord. They were busy serving the Lord. They were fervent in spirit. Um, and they were, they were and uh, I know I've talked about, is my microphone kind of going in and out? It feels like it to me too, so I don't know what that is. Um, anyway, we'll try to work through it. Um, anyway, the, this church 
was a busy church. Uh, again, not lazy. They understood the Great Commission. They understood that a church is meant to be serving others, and uh, they were doing that. So uh, I want to encourage us to not just, and there are a lot of churches who just kind of try to hold on, and they're not busy, they're not doing anything. And I was so blessed, even before we ever got here, to to know that this church was not going to be a lazy church. You were still doing VBS even without a pastor, and I was so impressed about that. And I thought, this is a people who are busy and who are working, and this microphone is going to drive me crazy. I'm going to lose it, and we'll just do the pulpit tonight if that's all right. Um, that way, it's not a big distraction. So they're, they're, he knew their works, and, uh, and uh, obviously the encouragement for us as a church is to stay busy serving the Lord. But then it goes on to say, I know thy works and charity, and charity. Uh, they had love, and so uh, he mentioned their love here. They didn't forget their first love like the Ephesians did. Remember the, the big uh, chastisement that God gives to the church at Ephesus in the beginning of Revelation chapter 2 is that they had left their first love. Well, that wasn't the case here in, uh, in Thyatira. They had kept their first love. In fact, love was a was an overwhelming attribute of this church. And uh, actually, it, it became almost their, uh, their, their curse as well. Um, love is a good thing, um, but if, if we just love, 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 and uh, we don't have standard, we don't have truth, um, that could lead us astray. And that was the case here in uh, the church at Thyatira. But they had the right type of love. They, they kept their charity right. And it goes on to say, and the third here, third thing he mentions, I know your works, your love, and your service. Uh, this church wasn't too proud to serve. Uh, it was filled with people who were willing to actually get down and do the dirty things. Um, we don't know exactly what he meant by that, but we can um, speculate that they were just willing to serve, willing to be a blessing and do whatever it took to keep the church going forward. And uh, I am so impressed about this church here at Cornerstone, where everybody's just willing to kind of pitch in. And, you know, finding volunteers is not a difficult thing. And uh, I want to commend you for that. That's a great attribute of a church. If we say, hey, we need a volunteer to help with something, uh, it's, always, it's always very discouraging when no one volunteers to, to help. Um, and so I appreciate the fact that there are many who say, hey, what can we do to serve? I want to be a blessing. And uh, that was... The, the, the church at Thyatira. They recognize that the Christian life is indeed a life of service, service to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. They remember that the greatest in God's kingdom is not the one who has the most people serving them. It's the one who is serving the most people. The greatest in God's kingdom is a servant of all. And so he points out their service, but then he also points out their faith. In verse 19, I know your faith. I know the faith that you guys have, and uh, faith in God and faith in, in uh, going forward and, sh and sharing that faith, so he knew their faith. And then he said the, the fifth thing here, they, he knew their patience. He knew their patience. You see, they hung in there, and they were faithful during the difficult times. And again, we've talked about the, diff the difficult times that Cornerstone has faced over its 72 years, and you know, again, I don't know all of the situations, and I don't think anybody knows all of the different trials and tribulations that the church has gone through. I know the Lunos have been here the longest. They've seen the most, but they probably, they, I guarantee they don't know all that went, has been going on. They don't know all the trials that have taken place. 
And, uh, and yet the Lord does. And uh, he knows the fact that this church has stayed faithful through the thick and the thin. Um, and uh, I appreciate the fact that this church has been faithful and patient over the course of time. It's easy to start out well, but just like running a marathon, it's not about how you start. It's really about how you finish. Um, and the Christian life isn't a sprint. It's a marathon. Uh, so as a church, we need to just keep going and be patient. So he gives here the record, uh, the record of the church. Secondly, we see the rebuke of the church. So unfortunately, the letter doesn't end there at verse 19. I know you kind of wish it was so we can get to the root beer floats. But the letter goes on in verse number 20, and we see the rebuke of the church. He says, notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee. Uh, that's not fun to hear from the Lord himself, who is the perfect and ultimate judge. He says, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman, Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to, and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And uh, I'd like to stop here and in the outline here and say this. They permitted a false teacher, first of all. They permitted a false teacher. There was a false teacher in their midst, and they permitted her uh, to have some influence in that church. And I think it kind of goes back again to what I was commenting about the, the point on love and charity. This church had love and charity. They loved one another, and uh, they, they didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And, and well, this, this lady comes into this church, and we don't know what her real name is. Uh, the Bible calls her a Jezebel. And uh, we'll explain that here in a moment. But they, this lady comes in and she starts to have some real influence and starts to bring in some false doctrine and teaching that is very dangerous and damaging to the church. The church doesn't do anything about it. Because, after all, we're supposed to love one another, aren't we? I mean, I don't want to hurt her feelings by saying anything. I mean, I don't want to ruffle any feathers. I don't want to rub the cat the wrong way. We just love people here at our church. The First Baptist Church of Thyatira, we love one another. Remember we talked about loving God and loving others in that order? They got that out of whack. They got it out of order again. And uh, they, as a result, began to suffer that woman Jezebel, which called herself a prophetess. They suffered her to teach and to seduce God's servants, that church there, and influence others. And evidently, she was very maybe attractive physically, but certainly with her uh, personality, very charismatic, very magnetic personality. People were drawn to her, and, uh, and she was uh, very easy to listen to, and uh, people wanted to hear what she had to say, and, and uh, they looked up to her, and, and she began to lead people astray, and, uh, and that's putting it mildly. We live in a day of love and tolerance as well. But I'm telling you, uh, we need to love God first and foremost and then love others in that order. And uh, this church got that out of order again. And, and so they put her and they didn't want to hurt her feelings and they wanted to love her. But as a result, they were not loving God like they should have. And they uh, let this lady have some authority and a platform to teach. And we're instructed in 1 Timothy chapter 2 to not do that, good or bad, when it comes to letting ladies have a platform 
to teach and uh, have influence over the entire church. 1 Timothy 2.11 says this, Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to assume authority over the man, but to be in silence. I, I realize that this wouldn't uh, bode well uh, if we let CNN listen to this message right now. Uh, they would probably have a field day with it, and it would go all out, and we would have all kinds of blasting from the left. I realize it's not a, a politically correct thing to quote those verses, but they're in the Bible, and uh, I need to share all the counsel of God, whether it's popular or unpopular in society today. I need to preach the word and be in, in season and when it's out of season, when it's not popular. And uh, God's word specifically teaches for women to not have the authority to preach and to teach in a mixed assembly. Now, I'm thankful for Miss Pam, and that was one that I forgot in the prayer request time when I was actually praying. But uh, Miss Pam is such a blessing in, in teaching our ladies and, and my wife teaching the ladies at the different activities and, and uh, others who have had the opportunity over the years to teach the ladies. I'm thankful for that. But allowing a lady to come in and, and start having influence over the church, that will not happen, Lord willing, as long as I am here. And uh, that's what happened here in the church of Thyatira. They allowed this lady to have some type, maybe she was one of the, on the rotation uh, for preaching. I don't know. I don't know if, you know, she invited everybody to her house and she had a devotion that she gave to everybody unbeknownst to the pastor. I don't know. Um, but she had some influence there and, uh, and people were following her leadership. And uh, again, we don't know what her name was, but uh, the Bible refers to her, God, or Jesus refers to her as Jezebel. And uh, who was Jezebel? Well, let's just say that it would be equivalent to naming your son Judas Iscariot, you know, the betrayer. And uh, Jezebel back in the, you know, I don't want to take the, for sake of time, I, I was going to go back there, but for sake of time, I think most of us have an idea who Jezebel was. She was the notorious, wicked wife of King Ahab. She brought in her, her cult to Israel when she married Ahab, and then she tried to force her cult uh, to her subjects. And uh, it was just, she was a wicked woman. And uh, we'll kind of leave it there uh, with that. But um, this lady here in this church of Thyatira was teaching things that were very, very dangerous. What was she teaching? Uh, according to verse 20 in Revelation 3 or 2, it says, To teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication. So she was trying to bring in a promiscuous, Im immoral lifestyle to the church. And people were adopting it. People were uh, hook, line, and sinker taking this, this new doctrine, this new truth. That is, you know, she has a special revelation, special connection with God. And so I'm going to listen to what this lady has to say. Oh, it's okay to cheat on my spouse. Okay. And so they begin to hook, line, and sinker, fall for what she's saying. And again, it's very dangerous. Uh, she seduced the God's servants there to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. So uh, kind of diving in back into the idolatry thing that we talked about last week um, that the, uh, the uh, church at Pergamos was dealing with. So immorality and idolatry so they permitted a false teacher and they weren't willing to deal with her they weren't willing to cast her out we weren't willing to deal with the heresy that was in that church again it's no fun to 
you know, deal with something like that. I hope I never have to deal with that in my ministry. I hope I never have to, uh, you know, confront somebody and say, you are not allowed in this church. That's what the pastor of Thyatira should have done. And he lacked the backbone to do it. As a result, he's being rebuked now by Christ, this church is, for not dealing with it. And by the way, I'll just say this. If, if there's something like this going on and I'm not dealing with it, um, you know, of course, I'm not right with God in that situation, but this church is still responsible. Okay, he's talking to the church. He's not just talking to the pastor here. So if I fail to do my job, it's still your job to make sure that this doesn't happen at Cornerstone. Now, hopefully, I'll be doing my job right, and you won't have to worry about it. But if I don't, it's still your responsibility as a church to make sure that this doesn't happen here. So uh, they permitted a false teacher, and of course, that leads to uh, the next thought here, the patience of God. Verse 21. And here uh, Christ says, I give her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. So he gave her some patience. It wasn't like he said, you've done this, boom, you're gone. He actually gave her some time to repent, some time to get things right. Aren't you glad that God does that with you and I? You say, how could he do that? Well, would you want him to just strike you dead with when you blow it the first time? Uh, I'm glad that God is a God who is patient with us. Psalm 86 verse 15 says, But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. That is who our God is. And we see this here in Revelation uh, 2.21. I gave her space to repent of her fornication. Unfortunately, she repented not. Second uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You see, a lot of us think, well... This church allowed this Jezebel to have this influence there. They should be destroyed right away. You know, that's a Jonah mentality. Jonah was, remember when he went to, uh, was called to go to Nineveh, he wanted those people destroyed immediately. He didn't want to go and see them saved. He didn't want them to come to Christ. He wanted their judgment. He wanted to see them be judged. I want to encourage us to not have a Jonah mentality. When it comes to the judgment of God and be thankful for the chances that God gives people to repent. I know that we like swift justice and judgment at times, um, but I'm thankful for the fact that God is long suffering. How many years did God give people in Noah's day after he said to Noah that he was going to destroy the earth? How many how many years? Who knows? 120, 120 years. Again, the wickedness was great in that earth in that day. And uh, we talked about this on Wednesday night. And, and violence covered the earth. I mean, it was a bad scenario. And yet God still gave 120 years, time for people to get right with him, time for people to repent. But I'm telling you, in spite of God's patience, payday is coming for those who fail to repent. For those who fail to get right with God, payday is coming. And at one point, be sure that your sin will find you out. And so we see the patience of God, but then that leads to the promise of punishment in verse 22. 
Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts, and I will give unto you every one, every one of you according to your works. So we see here the promise of punishment. Because she failed to repent, because there was a failure to get right with God, God promises that he would bring down punishment upon her. And it says in James 1.15, Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. God will judge sin. And I'll just say this, God will judge your sin too. I realize that in Christ, our sin is under the blood. I realize that our sins have been forgiven. But if we fail to confess our sins as a Christian, God's going to bring those sins to light at some point. And uh, he's going to bring down judgment. Now, it's not going to mean we're going to lose our salvation. I'm not preaching that tonight, but I am preaching that be sure your sin will find you out. And then he reminds us tonight that he is the one who searches the hearts of men. You may be able to fool everybody in your entire life. You may be able to fool me. You may be able to fool your spouse. You may be able to fool your children or your parents or your boss or your coworkers or your schools or your friends at school. I'm telling you, you cannot fool your God. Psalm 9, 7 and verse 9 says, Oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just, for the righteous God trieth the hearts and reigns. Remember, the Lord seeth not as man seeth. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. He knows what's going on in your heart. The Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. 1 Chronicles 28, 9. Then hear thou from heaven thy dwelling place and forgive and render unto every man according unto all his ways whose heart thou knowest. For thou only knowest the hearts of the children of men. There's only one in this universe who knows the hearts of all men. And it's not me. It's not you. It's God. He knows he's the only one that knoweth the hearts of the children of men. Psalm 44 and verse 21. Shall not God search this out? For he knoweth the secrets of the heart. He knoweth what's going on in your heart right now. I realize the hour is late, but please don't worry. The next couple points are quick. But this one is important. I want us to remember the fact that God knows what's going on in our hearts. And uh, God knew what was going on in the hearts of those uh, church members there in Thyatira. Jeremiah 17.10, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. God knows what's in your heart. So let me ask the question, what is in your heart? Does something need to be made right with him? How are you sleeping? How how have you been sleeping? We were talking about, uh, at the men and boys camp out, uh, I think Brother David and I were talking about how uh, he, he slept so good because he slept inside, number one. He wasn't exactly roughing it. Um. But he said, hey, I've got a clean conscience. And you know, there's something about that. 
Have you ever heard the expression that there's no softer pillow than a clear conscience? Do you go to bed going, I hope no one finds out about? I hope no one ever checks my history on my internet. I hope no one sees that text message. I hope no one found out where I was, what I was doing when no one else was looking. I hope there wasn't a surveillance camera when I was doing. Do you have a clear conscience? I'm telling you, the Lord knows what you were doing without the need of surveillance cameras. God knows all. He searches and knows our hearts. And so we see here the, uh, the rebuke to the church. This was a church that permitted a false teacher, and of course that led to the patience of God and then the promise of punishment. Uh, thirdly, tonight we see the requirement of the church. Verse number 24, he says, unto you, I say unto, you, unto you, I say, as unto the rest of Thyatira, as many have not this doctrine. So that evidently there was several in the church who did not adopt this doctrine who did not go along with the teaching of this Jezebel. It says, As many as not have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan, as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden, but that which ye have already, hold fast till I come. So the requirement here was, first of all, to hold fast, to hang on like a bulldog. It's worth fighting for. So hold fast. President Abraham Lincoln used the bulldog's tenacity um, to describe General Grant. He said the greatest thing about him in talking about General Grant is cool persistency of purpose. He has the grip of a bulldog. When he, when he once gets his teeth in, nothing can shake him off. And so he, he gripped on, and maybe you've heard about a bulldog, and maybe you've heard that their, law, their jaw actually locks when they get a grip on something. That's not actually true. Their jaw doesn't actually lock. They just are holding on with tenacity to whatever they're biting onto. And here God says to the church, I want you to hold fast till I come. I want you to hold on to the truth. I want you to stay faithful until I come. I encourage us to be faithful if it's popular, if it's not popular, if it's uh, working or if it's not working seemingly. Let's be faithful. Let's hold fast. And then secondly, here he encourages them to overcome. In verse 26, and he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end. And uh, so we need to overcome the, the challenges and trials and tribulations that we face and just overcome them. And then he leads us, that leads us to number four here, the reward for the church. Those who are holding fast, those who overcome, God promises a couple things. In verse 26, he that overcometh, Keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father, and I will give him the morning star. So a couple of rewards here for the church that holds fast, the church that stays faithful, the church that overcomes. Uh, there is, first of all, power on earth. Power on earth in verse 27, talking or verse 26 of the last part. To him will I give power over the nations. Uh, evidently, um, and uh, you know, when for those who overcome here, they're going to uh, give the ability to 
uh, rule and reign with him in the millennium. Those who stand for God, though, have great power with men. You think about men in the Bible who stood for the Lord and God gave them a better platform and, and uh, the, the world began to acknowledge the authority of men like Abraham, like Daniel, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When we were up at the men's camp out, we talked about these three men who stood for God when everybody else was falling down and they were promoted. And uh, we need to stand up for the Lord and, and uh, he'll give us great power on earth uh, among men. And then we have power in heaven. In uh, verse number 28, I will give him the morning star. Now, the morning star is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And this isn't saying that if you overcome, you'll get saved. Um, we don't need to take that application here. But uh, God does say, though, that he will give us the mor- give them the morning star. The morning star, of course, is Christ. And possessing him, when we possess him, we possess all that we could. And I would encourage you to do further study on, on the, this uh, part of this passage and finding out what these mean um, and uh, learning what others have to say about that. But for sake of time, we'll move on tonight and go to number five, and that is the reminder for the church. And that's here in verse number 29. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. The reminder for the church there in Thyatira and the reminder for Cornerstone Baptist Church is the same, and that is, first of all, to hear what the Spirit says. So in, that means to incline our ears to what God is saying, have, a, have ears to hear, uh, and to be willing to take it personal and to, to not have this mentality of, oh, this will never happen to us. Oh, this doesn't apply to me. No, we need to have the mentality of, Lord, I want to hear what you have to say. Because I want to make sure that we're a church or I'm, an, I'm a Christian that is pleasing to you. So hear what the Spirit says. And then secondly, heed what the Spirit says. Don't just be a hearer only, but be a doer of the word. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Hear what the Spirit says, and then heed what the Spirit says. I'll close tonight with this passage of Scripture, Psalm 139, verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting.